This is Jesse Jeronen and you're listening to Full and Focus Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Full and Focus Podcast. My name's Matt Waclair and as trips to the Etihad go, Saturday was by no means the worst, was it? Inevitably, we lost but came away with plenty of positives and our goal difference didn't take a hammering either. Trying to make an entertaining and thought-provoking show out of a defeat to Man City when the whole world knew we were going to lose to Man City is no easy task. But I've got Will Oakley and Matt Sato-Arta with me. And we're going to give it our absolute best. So here we go. Fulham. Well, as many of us predicted, Scott Parker kept things the same as Leicester on Monday by way of starting lineup with the aim to keep things tight and hit City on the counter-attack where possible. As Robbie Savage pointed out in the commentary, we were playing 5-2-3 off the ball, leaving no space for City to move between the lines. Stato, what were your thoughts when you had time to digest the starting lineup, mate? Were you happy? Was it what you thought? Yeah, for sure. I think it was quite refreshing to see Parker field an unchanged 11, which feels like the first time in forever. I think uh, the last time we would have done that would have been back in the uh, Championship player final. So it was, it was certainly good to see the same starting 11 set up shop against City. Um, as Savage, as you, as you mentioned, Robbie Savage, we did play the five-two-three on defence when they were attacking, which happened a lot in this game, unfortunately. And it, it, it kind of worked. I felt we were a bit outnumbered in midfield a lot of the time, just by having Zambo and Reed there. I felt Loftus Cheek should have dropped back a bit more. But you know, on the face of it, we only conceded two goals, so you know something obviously worked well for us. And Will, it's it's quite clear what we're trying to do now, isn't it? It seems like we've actually got some sort of identity now in, in the way that we're trying to play. And, and we're actually giving it a, a good fist of competing at, at this level as opposed to just turning up and being, all right, we were we were a goal behind within five minutes, but against Man City, that's, that's not too unexpected. And I, I just feel at the moment like we're, we're actually... Um, we've actually got a decent game plan which can work from time to time, which it proved to to do at Leicester. Yeah, it's definitely good to have consistency. I think that's a thing that all good sides have throughout a season. Um, I quite, yeah, I liked it that it was unchanged. Um, I mean, obviously I'd like to see Mitro back in there at some point, but it's not a big deal. You know, he played well without him and sometimes he's not going to be able to play every game. I thought uh, Loftus-Cheek didn't really do that much in the striker role. I feel like he didn't drop that deep until the second half and he he didn't really have that much to do. But otherwise, you know, pretty much the same as Leicester, apart from uh, Loftus-Cheek central and Cav was outright. But yeah, it, it, it's solid. We've we got a game plan and hopefully we can build on that really. Well, a team like us going to, going to the Etihad to play Man City... Anyone that's playing a striker is is really going to be, you know, feeding off scraps at best, aren't they? It's, it's, it's not going to be a game where you're going to get loads of chances and, you know, maybe you'll get one chance in a game and, and if you don't take it, then that's your lot. So it's, it's a difficult game to, to be a centre-forward, I think. Definitely. Um, I think we had one shot on target in the whole game and that was Cavallero in the 70 something minutes a long range effort mm. and we're not going to we're not going to get any chances or many chances in a, against a team like City so you know I think it was a bit hard it's a bit harsh to judge Loftus-Cheek but you know at the same time it can't be ignored that he didn't really contribute much to the game at all well City on the other hand took just 5 minutes to score Raheem Sterling breaking 
his his goal drought. Those opening five minutes were pretty eventful leading up to the goal, though. Sterling had already bought a good low save out of Ariola as Man City played keep ball, but following an outrageous piece of skill from Anguita in his own half, where he left three or four Man City players for dead, we showed some promise going forwards too. Ultimately, though, trying to keep things tight at the back, only to concede so early, gives you a monumental task at the Etihad for the rest of the game, doesn't it, Will? Yeah, it does. It, it would have been nice to keep that nil-nil for a little bit longer and maybe we could have got back into it or had a bit more motivation. But look, Man City are a great side and, and that's just, it's not a complicated goal, really. It's quite a basic goal, you know. Good, A good player in De Bruyne plays a good pass forward to a good player in Sterling, how fast he is. Maybe we could have done better at defending it. We probably could have. Probably could have been more compact, maybe, and more solid. But really, we we looked all right defensively. I, I mean, obviously they had a lot of shots, but it's City. We're we're not going to be able to keep them at bay for that long. And um, yeah, they're a great side, and they knew what they had to do to get past us, and they just did that early on. I thought, like you say, we did quite well keeping it at two 0 for the rest of the game. And yeah, they didn't get as many chances as they definitely could have. You know, they some teams like they beat Burnley five 0 They could have had twenty five shots. It wasn't too bad. I don't have too many problems with that first goal, to be honest. It was just a good ball. Pace got in behind us and it was and it was a good finish. Keeper had no chance. And it's, it's the frustrating goals like the ones that we conceded against Everton where defensively we were all over the place that I have a problem with. But but goals like that, I'm, I'm not too fussed about. And, you know, against Man City, these, these things are going to happen. You're going to concede goals against Man City. So it was just a, it was just a, a typical run-of-the-mill goal to concede against a side like that, really. Um, shortly after, though, Tashin Adarabayo had a good chance with a header against his former side from a Harrison Reed corner uh, inside just just eight minutes actually, but he couldn't direct his header on target. It was a good ball in from Harrison Reed, and I really feel like it would be useful if our central defenders could help out with scoring goals occasionally. We've been weak from corners for a very long time now. What do you reckon, Stato? Be good to see him chip in, wouldn't it? Definitely, definitely. I, I can't. I'm trying to think of the last time we actually scored from a corner. I can't. I can't even remember, to be honest. It was it sometime last season. Who who knows? And I can remember what's his name, uh, the Preston guy, scored a lone goal uh, in the last game at the Cottage before lockdown. Dave Nugent yeah, scored a lone yeah. goal at the near post, didn't he? Maybe Does maybe that, that was the last count? time we scored from a corner. <laughs> sure, sure, we'll, we'll let that count. But um, I think definitely now. Now we have um, Adarabayo and Anderson in the team, two big imposing centre backs. When they get off the corners, you know they should be kind of making more of an impact when we get them. Um, Again, like I say, we're going to say this a lot in this pod, but a team like City, you get the few corners, we don't score them, that's no big deal. But when we're playing teams kind of lower down the league table and we get all these set pieces, we need to be making the most of them. And, you know, it's good to see that Adel is up there and he's winning the headers. He just needs to try and work on that and get them go-bound, really. Yeah, the, the good thing is as well is that we're not playing it short because we were doing that a lot before. And that's the most frustrating thing when you're doing that. So... At least we're hitting them in the box and getting a shot away, even if it, the shot wasn't great, he could have hit the target. But yeah, at least we're getting the shot away. And it was a good ball by Harrison Reed, like you say. And I'm sure Adam Rabai would want to score against his former club more than anyone because, you know, they, they kind of wrote him off and he's looked really good since he's come to us. It's interesting you say that about Harrison Reed because I don't remember how many corners he's taken previously. And we've had a lot of corner takers. Um, in the last couple of seasons, Cavalero, Knockout last season, took a few, Kearney, now now Harrison Reed, And 
actually, I thought that his delivery was was really good at the Etihad. And I think we had another one or two corners, perhaps, throughout the game where a Fulham player got on the end of it as well. So a lot of it is to do with the delivery. And perhaps, perhaps he will be the corner taker going forward. Any thoughts on that? I think it's... <laughs> I don't want to think this. I don't want to think this is the actual reason, but I think he's just the corner taker because out of the eleven players on the team, he's the one you can just get a ball in. You, you look at our other midfield players, Zambo and Loftus Cheek. They're kind of big, tall players. You want them in the box. Likewise with uh, look when you kind of went on the edge of the box there to see if you can do something. So it kind of just falls to Reed just to whack it in. And this delivery was good. It was just it's just kind of a bog standard corner delivery. There's no whip. There's no whipping it in. There's no trying to be fancy. It's just Harrison Reed put it into the box and just hope for the best so and it, it kind of does demonstrate that we might be lacking some kind of set piece specialist in this team it's not a major problem but considering we had Cabana last year um, in previous years we've had other you know set piece specialists it does show that maybe you know a player there's an opportunity there for a player to step up and you know make his put his mark on some set pieces well, Alphonse Ariola made a, an excellent save from Kevin De Bruyne at his near post, which took a deflection off of Harrison Reed. Then he went on to make a number of impressive stops from the likes of um, Raheem Sterling and also other ones from, from Kevin De Bruyne as well. We sing his praises every week, but Marit Rodak barely even gets mentioned anymore, which, given how much we like him, really goes to show how happy we seem to be with Ariola as our keeper. Anyone want to sing his praises this week? Yeah, he, he he was amazing. I mean, the, he saved a, like you say early on. He saved a couple of great shots. He, he's good in the air, like you know, jumping and and catching. I suppose that's what keepers supposed to do. But you know, he also commands his box really well. I feel like the defense feel confident with him behind him, and I I think his kind of confidence and his calmness does express through the team. I've said this about Anderson as well. I just feel like having these big players that can step up in big situations helps the team through through the situations that maybe they've not been in you know Ariola's had experience at the top of the French league and the Spanish league whereas players like you know Harrison Reed hardly has any prem experience so those are the big players that are going to help the players who are new get through it definitely for sure and I think if you look at it from Rodak's perspective, we we were all a bit peeved that he got dropped straight away. He had a fantastic season for us in the championship. But Ariola's coming and he has just been a different class. And I think if you're Rodak, you need to look at these performances and be like, yeah, fair enough. This is a world-class keeper at this club. And I think someone in the pod chat mentioned, I think it was Dom or Morgs, and it was a good point that, you know, Rodak, he's he's training with this with Ariola week day in day out, and he's probably learning so much from him. You know, Rodak's still a young keeper; he still has a future and a career with us. But you know, to be learning under the tutelage of Ariola is just you know a fantastic opportunity for him. Whilst at the same time, we're getting used of a really good goalkeeper, and I think it's also just a very good parallel from the last time we were in the Premier League. You know, we had everyone wanted Bettinelli in goal, then it was Fabri; he was a mess. Then he went back to Bettinelli. He was a mess. And then eventually we settled on Rico. And I think it's just nice to see this time around. There's none of that. There's none of that kind of messing around with goalkeepers. It's Ariola. He's our number one. That's it. Yeah, nicely put. And there seems to be a shift, doesn't there, in how we're defending at the moment. Um, it, we Obviously, the personnel are very different from last season and even from the start of the season when we were making mistakes. You know, we had Hector and, and Reem as our, our centre-backs and now we've got Anderson and Adarabayo and we've still got Congolo to come in. 
Ariola, as as Will very rightly said, is a commanding goalkeeper. And it, it just feels to me like, aside from that Everton game where I came onto the podcast and said we're defending like a team that's going down, it does seem like that was a one-off. There does seem to have been a change and a change for the better. And I don't know whether it's it's just the defenders, but perhaps as a team as well, the way we're we're setting up at the moment really lends it lends ourselves to being more robust at the back. Yeah, for sure. And it takes it takes time to build a successful team. And we had a lot of players coming in in a very short space of time. And Parker had to try and get these lot playing together as a team in that short space of time. And the first few games, yeah, we looked awful because it was just a bunch of strangers playing together. But, you know, it's, it's a bit of a testament and a bit of a credit to Parker to show that he's getting these, he's getting these bunch of players playing together. They want to play for the team. They want to, they want to play together. And slowly but surely, it looks like the results are, you know, coming through for that. Yeah, and Adarabio and Anderson are really forming a good partnership. I mean, like you say, they're both new and only just come in. But if we can get Anderson on a permanent at the end of the year, if we stay up, I, I really think that those two could be a great pair. And I know we're playing a back five at the moment, but those two are kind of the out-and-out defenders. I thought they were both really good against Leicester. And I didn't think they were that bad yesterday. I thought they kept kind of close to their men and did as much as they could do against Man City. So I really think that they can be solid and hopefully they can be throughout the season and stop us conceding those dodgy goals that we've conceded in past seasons because those are the goals that do cost us. You know, even if we score three a couple of seasons ago, we would have scored three and conceded four, but those two are going to stop us from conceding those dodgy goals. Well, let's let's not forget Anderson was probably responsible for the fact that we conceded that late goal against West Ham when he when he headed the ball straight up up in the air. Adarabio was responsible for that stupid crossfield ball against Everton uh, when we conceded in the first minute. Um, but generally, the defensive play is better. They look more solid, but they do still have mistakes in them. So there's still room for improvement. But things things are are looking looking better for me. Um. The game was over against Man City in the 25th minute, of course, when the referee awarded a penalty to Man City for a foul by Joachim Anderson on Raheem Sterling and Kevin De Bruyne stepped up and put the ball away. I've watched that foul, in inverted commas, back a few times and I can't see any contact. It looks so soft to me. What did you boys think? Was it a penalty? Yeah. Yes, it was a penalty. It's a very soft penalty, but by the letter of the law... It's a penalty, and it's a problem that VIR has kind of produced now. And I hate going about VIR because it's just the centre of everything at the moment. But if contact is made with a player inside the box and the ball, you don't get the ball, then it's a penalty. Before a little challenge like that, no one would go down. There's no penalty given. But now, because it will get watched back in slow motion, and then you can see that technically Anderson didn't get the ball, and there was a touch by him on Sterling. Then yes, it was a penalty. It's just unfortunately one of the things we have to live with now being in the top tier and being in a world where VR exists. And, you know, we'll get some, we'll lose some, but it's just a frustrating thing in the in the world of football now, really. I hate it. I hate it just because he touched his leg with his with his leg, brushed it, let's say. He goes down and it's a penalty. It's it's not a foul. Come on. I mean, like you yeah. say, by the less by the letter of the law, yes, but the law's nonsense if that's a penalty. Yeah, it was extremely soft. I mean, 
it, but that's the thing. Even if there's a tiny bit of contact, it's a pen, and it's so unfortunate. But I'm sure later on in the season it will go for us, or hopefully it will at some point. But the thing is, I don't know how much VAR had a say in this because I'm pretty sure the ref called the penalty before. I mean, obviously we don't know what happens behind the scenes, but I think the ref called the penalty and then VAR checked it after he made the call. But obviously, like you're saying, the VAR could have overruled it. But the way the way the rule is now, um, VAR wouldn't overrule it just because the tiny bit of contact has made it be a penalty. I hate it. Absolutely hate it. If that, even if that went for us, I mean, the Bobby Reed one against Leicester, that was a clear penalty because the trailing leg of Bobby Reed was caught by um, was it Fuchs caught by his knee, whereas this one it was just. I don't know. I've, I watched it a few times and I couldn't even see the contact. It must have been so minimal. But anyway, let, let's move on. It, it happened. And I'd ra- I guess I'd rather it happened in a game like this than against, I don't know, one of the teams that were around us where, where it was much tighter. So the rest of the game, it kind of petered out, really, didn't it? The second half was a non-event. With little over 20 minutes of the game left, Mario Lamina replaced Harrison Reed. Abubakar Kamara replaced Bobby Reed a few minutes later. And then the final change was Tom Kearney coming on for Loftus-Cheek eight minutes before the end. The substitutions were very much a case of going through the motions, though, for me. And I really want to focus on Alexander Mitrovic now because I think we're in danger of pissing him off by not playing him. And I, can't, I, I see what we're trying to do. I see that we're trying to play counter-attacking football. And for, to play counter-attacking football, you need pacey players. Um, but leaving out our best finisher, the best finisher at the club, when chances are minimal, is is surely shooting ourselves in the foot. Um, and I, I really think that there, there's got to be a role for him in this system. Otherwise, he's just going to leave. He's going to get. He's he's not going to find any form. He's he's going to be really really irritated by not being able to get in this team because he he'll get in other teams in other other better teams arguably than ours, um, and if I was him I'd, I'd be really frustrated at not even getting on the pitch at the moment. What, what do you chaps think about that? Yeah, I really wanted to see Mitro. I mean, look, it's the game's pretty much over by that point, but you do never know. You know, he's a, he's a natural finisher. He's been left out the last few times. He want, might want to come on and prove a point against, arguably the best team in the league. And also, it would have just been nice to get him some game time. If if we did genuinely believe that it was over by that point, then just put him on. Because what's the harm? You know, Kamara isn't really going to do much or, or Kearney isn't going to do much at that stage of the game or Lamina. So just put Mitrovic on, even if he's only getting 15 minutes or even 10 minutes, it'd be nice for him to know that he's kind of wanted at the club and for him to get some game time because he's probably not very sharp at the moment. He should be getting 90 minutes for me. He shouldn't. It shouldn't be a case of, oh, should we get uh, uh, Mitrovic on for the last 15 minutes and hope he, he gets a chance? If a chance falls to Mitrovic when he's in form, then, you know, probably eight or nine times out of 10, it's going to be on target. And and we're going to score, and and even if he's not as quick as the likes of Lookman, Cavanero, Loftus Cheek, he's going to be heading towards goal. He's going to be in the right place at the right time. And if the ball falls to him, I, I'd rather it fell to him than any other player on the pitch in the penalty area. And if he's not on the pitch, that's not happening. And like you like you said earlier, Stasso, our only shot on target was Cavalero from miles out. And also, without having Mitrovic on the pitch, you have no option to cross the ball in. 
There's nobody in the penalty area um, apart from Loftus Cheek, who he isn't really that sort of player who who loiters and goal hangs like Mitrovic would. We need him on the pitch. There's, there's got to be a role for him on the pitch, otherwise we're going to lose him. I think it's uh, Parker. He since he's come in, he's he's you know, he's made it clear that you work hard to get into this team, and he doesn't prioritise anyone and. If you're the best player in the team, then you don't walk into the team if you're playing badly. You, you, you've you got to work your way back into the team. And I think Mitrovic, he's, he's gone through, it's been a tough like, month or so, you know, with the whole Euro thing with Serbia. The last game he started was West Ham, which seems like ages, it was over a month ago, but because we're in the Premier League, we're not playing that many games now. That was only four games ago. And if a player's out of form, then yeah, you, you don't play him. And maybe he's lost a bit of confidence or maybe he's nursing an injury. We, do, we don't know. Uh, if if we've now kind of got this new style of football that doesn't, he doesn't fit in, maybe the answer is to part ways with him in January. It, it would be a shame. But, you know, if we've kind of creating this identity of counter-attacking football where we need pacey attacking players, then unfortunately, Mitrovic doesn't fit that mold. I don't yeah, want him to leave. Sorry, we all, sorry, we all, sorry, we all love him. But, but the other players in, in this team, in this system, can't finish their dinner. So... No, of course. But... You know, at the same time, the players that have been playing since he hasn't started, we lost to Everton 3 2. A bit of a boring game, a bit of a bad game for us, but you know, a 3 2 loss against a good Everton team, it's not the worst in the world. We beat Leicester 2 1, which is a, a, arguably the best result yeah. we've had in a long, long time. Yeah, we lost only 2 0 to City. So, you know, if you're Mitrovic, you're looking at those results, you're thinking, how can I get back into this team? How can I work my way? How can I prove my worth to them in training or? you know, on a day-to-day basis. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It's unfortunate we have Liverpool next because that's not really the type mm. of game for him to kind of show his worth. It's kind of Brighton the week after that, or um, a few days after that, that, you know, it's the type of game where he can come in and be like, yeah, this is what you're missing out on. Start playing me. So yeah, it'll be an interesting way. It'll be interesting to see how his December goes for us really and what that means for his future with us. Christmas is huge for us. We've got we've got that Brighton game, as you say. Then we've got Newcastle. Um, I think it's Spurs on Boxing Day. Um, no, sorry, it's, it's Southampton on Boxing Day, isn't it? Then it's Spurs between Christmas and New Year. Um, and I guess Spurs will be a tough one. Spurs away, but these games are all are all games where, where I've won him in the team, to be honest. You know, particularly the Brighton and Newcastle games. Um, and then Burnley away um, uh, in the new year as well. The, these are these are massive games, and you need your big players, and he's a big player. Yeah, I, I would seriously put Mitrovic in instead of Loftus Cheek. I, I don't think he offers that much up front. And I feel, although Cavers got a lot of stick this year, I, I think he's okay in this system. And if not, he can sort with Loftus Cheek because Loftus Cheek has played right wing or right mid a couple of times. Obviously, that's not his best position, but he hasn't been bad there. So play Loftus-Cheek or Cav on the right and put Mitrovic in the middle because Loftus-Cheek isn't even that quick and he started up front against City. He's more of a technical player. And I seriously think Mitrovic can play that role better than better than Loftus-Cheek. And maybe we need to play to tell Mitrovic to play a bit differently because, you know, maybe tell him to drop a bit deeper and come deep because he doesn't do that that much. And maybe just you know, keep playing it out wide, but with this formation, because I, I think Mitrovic can benefit off it. All right. Well, to summarise this game, for me, Man City were professional, if not spectacular. They kept the ball and took enough chances to win the game comfortably. 
we crowded them out and it was a good exercise for us to continue to implement the new ideas from Scott Parker. However, I felt we were toothless in the final third, if I'm going to be really blunt about it. Would you say that's fair, Stato? Yeah, 100%. We can, you know, it's it's not often I say I'm happy with a 2-0 defeat, and I was. Um, we only considered two against City. They were probably coasting in the second half and we were just there trying to keep them at bay. But like you say, the only big negative is that we did nothing when we got the ball in attack and that didn't happen often but when it does ha- happen often especially against teams like City you need to make the most of that and there was kind of nothing there and you know, there could be a bigger problem going forward but you know it's these games these these this game's not going to define our season it's the games against the lower teams and how we attack against them really so yeah Remains to be seen, really, how we how how it goes from here. Yeah, I would say that's fair as well. I mean, Parker set up fairly defensively. Obviously, the five back is a defensive formation, and he kept our goal difference down. I, I don't know if he ever went into that game looking for a win, but he, he did play quite defensively. Kept the goal difference down. It's not the end of the world, you know. We're not expected to do anything against City. Obviously, the game against Leicester kind of pushed our hopes up quite a lot, but it's Man City. It's just as hopeful as we can be they're they're a brilliant side and it's going to be very hard to score against them and very hard to stop them scoring against us so you know 2-0 not the end of the world and I didn't think we were that bad it's funny isn't it you know you you say it's Man City but before every game you always have that little nagging thought in the back of your mind well if they have an off day well maybe we could get something here I mean Brighton got a point at home to Liverpool the other week um, and we've got Liverpool next. And even Liverpool, you know, they won the Champions League last last season or the season before last, won the league last season. And still in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, we could do it. And then we probably won't. But, you know, there, there's always that that thought in the back of your mind until the, the first kind of five minutes and you're a goal or two down. And then you think, oh, well, that's, that's that then. But anyway, you know, we, we, it didn't happen for us against Man City. But Scott Parker believes he's onto something with this squad and has something on on which to build. Um, would you agree with that? And to play the type of stifling counter-attacking football that, that we are at the moment requires a strong defence. And as we said earlier in the show, the Fulham defence has improved so much since those early games of the season, even if we did lapse against Everton a few weeks ago. So do you think, do you think Scott Parker's onto something here with this, with this kind of new style that, that we're playing? Yeah, um, I think, I think he is. Worth pointing out, the two teams that we played in Leicester and City, they're top top six, top eight Premier League teams. So playing that counter-attacking football is necessary against them. It will be interesting to see if we play the same style against Brighton and Newcastle. And if we don't, how do we set up? Do we play more of the possession-based game that we're used to playing? Is there kind of a hybrid between that and the counter-attacking? It'll be interesting to see, but yeah, it's good to see that we have some kind of clear game plan against the more elite Premier League teams at this level. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think I've said this so many times now, like countless times, about how Parker's learning on the job. I mean, he, he's adapting different play. He's, you know, the counter-attack and the possession. And just because we're playing counter-attack now, there's nothing to say that we won't go back to possession like you say, against teams like Brighton and Newcastle. And I think it's good that he knows how to play both because although you've looked good with counter-attacking, that doesn't mean you should rule out possession. But I think it's good because managers don't know what we're going to play. You know, going into the, the 
the lower teams. So obviously Liverpool will probably play the same. But going into Brighton and Newcastle, those managers are going to be thinking, you know, is he going to play possession? Is he going to play counter-attack? Because the fact we can just switch between the two quite effortlessly, if you like. I mean, I know we haven't got guaranteed results out of them, but the fact that we can do it is amazing because it just gives us different options. And also there's nothing to say you can't change in a match either. The fact that he can do that is really good. And I think that's going to help us, especially because he's a young manager. He's doing all this so early on in his career. I think he has a good future with us. All right, lads. Well, let's come on to man of the match then. For me, there's only one candidate and that's Ariola. I thought he was absolutely outstanding. I, I can't see anybody else being anywhere near his level of performance in this game. But I guess to counter that, going to Man City, you know your goalkeeper's going to be busy, but I thought he did an excellent job. How about you, Stato? Who was your man of the match? Yep, 100% agree. The defence, they put in a good shift. They you know, they, they tried their best, likewise in the midfield. The attack was a bit non-existent. But Ariola, the amount of saves he made, the amount of quality saves he made, kept us, oh, I, didn't say, I don't want to say keep us in the game, but he kept it at 2-0. He's clearly a good good, good, uh, good goalkeeper. He's here to play for us, you know, as, as a keeper on loan from a big club like PSG, you think he was only here because he wants to be in London, but he obviously wants to play for us and putting in good performances like that, it's, it's good to see. So yeah, clear man of the match for me. Yeah. Yeah, three areolas. I mean, he, he was brilliant, kept it at, 2-0 and you know with Bettinelli that could have been 5 or, or 6 to be honest um, I thought Adarabai was actually really good and I thought Anguissa as well especially in the first half Anguissa was brilliant I think he he made 6 take-ons which is more than the entire city combined in the first half so yeah I thought Anguissa was really good again but for me Ariola, I mean there's no way you can look over the amount of saves that he made and Although they weren't amazingly difficult, some of them he could have easily parried out, but he kept hold of them and and tipped them tipped them away. And I thought he, I think he's a really class keeper. Okay, mate, and we'll again come into you for your Scott Parker rating. I it's between a six and a seven, so I, I'll probably say six point five. I think we probably could have looked a, a bit better in the attacking third of things, but I thought we were solid defensively and. Yeah, I just think the the one thing for me would be probably starting or subbing on Mitro and maybe playing a tiny bit more attacking, but you can't do much against City. So, yeah, 6.5. I've, I've put myself in a difficult position here because I only gave Scott Parker a, a, an 8 for the win against Leicester. Um, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him a 7 um, for, for the Man City game. Um, and I, I just, I don't know... I, it's difficult because we've lost the game, but I'm I'm start I'm starting just in the last couple of games to enjoy watching Fulham and not you know starting to watch a game and not necessarily expecting us to get hammered. Whereas at the start of the season, if we'd have played Man City, I would have expected that to be six seven nil. But but at the moment, I'm I'm starting to feel I'm enjoying enjoying watching Fulham and I'm, I'm starting to feel proud again to 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 watch Fulham and of, of the way that we're playing. So although I only gave him an eight against Leicester um, because I, I I didn't agree with leaving Mitrovic out, I still don't agree with leaving Mitrovic out, but it was it was a good performance all round. So seven out of 10 for me. What about you, Stato? Yeah, I agree with what both of you have largely said. Um, interesting what you said about how we're proud 
to watch Fulham again. And I mentioned this on the on the preview pod how in previous years gone by, because we've been out of the Premier League for so long, we kind of forgot what it was like to be a mid-level Premier League club where you win some, you lose, you saw that bouncing back. And that Leicester win kind of was the first time it was, it made me remember what it was like to be that mid-level Premier League club where yeah. you get wins against Leicester and it, it, it felt good. And likewise, this game against City, it's, it was a bit of a non-event. It's, it's 2-0 and, you know, I would have bitten your hand off, bit your hand off that result. You know, it helps our goal difference. Looking at how all the other bottom three clubs got on this weekend, it, we are kind of the winners here. So, yeah, I'm, you know, Parker did well because of that. So, yeah, six or seven, I think, yeah, like we all said, 6.5 is about right for him, I'd say. So, yeah, nothing good, nothing bad, just meh. Yeah, just got just got through it, and I think you said in the preview pod as well. Like, we'll lose this game, and then we'll move on and forget about it. And that's that's exactly what's going to happen. We lost; it was a bit of a non-event from the start, but you know, it's, it's done now, and on to the next one, which which is a, a very tricky game against against Liverpool, the champions. But um, I guess I guess the season starts again after that game for us, and anything that we we could possibly get against Liverpool would would be a, obviously an absolute bonus. So let's keep our fingers crossed. All right, well, that's your lot this time. Next week, as I said, it's Liverpool at the Cottage in front of 2,000 Fulham fans. We'll be back midweek for a preview of the game, which also includes a Danny Murphy in focus chat. Until then, stay safe and speak soon. Cheers. Fulham.